Hi everyone, uh, let's spend some time in God's Word together. If you've got your Bible with you, uh, pick it up and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and I'm going to read from verse 1 through to verse uh, 15. So uh, here we go. And now brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you ex excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. So here we are in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and uh, in this letter it's, it's part of quite a large section actually, looking at generosity. All of chapters 8 and 9 together um, give a full flavour of what Paul had to say to the Corinthian church uh, on the subject. For us, it comes in this series that we've been doing, looking at the grace of God, what's so amazing about God's grace. And, uh, and here we are, and really I suppose the answer to that question this week is, well, What's so amazing about God's grace is that it enables supernatural generosity. And that shouldn't really surprise us because the whole gospel of God's grace is a message of God's amazing, supernatural, overflowing generosity that's come, uh, that's come to us. That's what we've received. That's what we've experienced if we've believed in Jesus. We know his forgiveness. We know a new identity. We have uh, eternal hope and a security um, in glory so that, that we've been on the receiving end of so much you know freely you've given uh, sorry freely that you've received so freely give we've received so much so it's no wonder if generosity is a characteristic uh, in God's kingdom and that God is looking to encourage in us and if you like this is a, a case study really of just how God's grace works through all areas of our lives you know we've looked at it before in terms of thinking about prayer you know, prayer is not doing what I ought to, 
in, in a dry, kind of legalistic sense, it's an adventure that I get to participate in. I, I can find more grace as I seek God in prayer. So it's not a rule, it's not a law, it's not a heavy pressure or a burden. It's part of a life of, that's overflowing and bubbling up. Um, and that's the same when it comes to giving uh, as well, uh, that we'll be looking at this morning. Now, generosity in many ways is not something that I think City Church Sheffield really needs to be uh, taught like it's not there already. There, there are so many examples, recent and in the past, of, of generosity uh, at work amongst us as a body um, and through the church um, into the world as well. So there's not a lack in that sense, but what I think we're doing as a church right now is getting ready. We're preparing for a new normal. We are, we're preparing for an unknown and an uncertain future. And I think for that reason, it's really helpful for us to consider supernatural generosity and how we can grow in it. Um, and therefore, what we're going to do just through the course of this message is spend some time just looking at a few myths on the subject of giving and generosity that I think might need to be busted. A few, when I say myths, I mean kind of ideas and ways of thinking that in some respects they might have an, uh, an element of truth about them. But if they shape the way we're thinking, actually it's probably going to stifle generosity rather than encourage it um, and release it. Hopefully that'll become clear uh, on the way through. So here we go. Myth number one is the idea that says this. Having more money is what makes it easier to give. If I had more money, I would be able to give more. Now, anecdotally, in a way, of course, that's true. If, if someone's income increases for some reason, they may make a decision that that enables their giving to increase. It's just logical. That's, uh, that's the case. But what we see here in this passage is an example that really turns it on its head massively. You see, the Macedonian churches, we're told, we're told this. In verse 2, out of the most severe trial, imagine this as, as like a mathematical equation, severe trial plus overflowing joy plus extreme poverty equals rich generosity. That right there is a miracle. It doesn't seem to make sense. We might think, how can severe trial combine with extreme poverty and well up in rich Generosity. It is an amazing example of, uh, of generosity. They didn't wait to become rich in order to be able to give. We don't need to wait to receive more in order to be, to be generous. We can be generous with what we have. Uh, we don't need a bigger house to be hospitable. We don't, we don't need a bigger bank account in order to be, um, to be generous. This is, a, this is an attitude of faith and grace that, that enables generosity that can become uh, supernatural. And we see, you know, if the Macedonian example is impressive, how much more impressive is the example further down the page uh, of Jesus himself? You look in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And when we're thinking about Jesus' riches, the riches belonging to the Son of God, the Word of God. I think it's an understatement really, isn't it? Consider how rich God is when he can just speak and create a universe. He has no needs, he has no lack, and in heaven was enjoying all 
uh, glory and comfort, if you like. But he decided to come down, make himself poor, leave behind all those riches and, and literally be, be poor, dwelling among us, a baby that was laid in a manger, a man who had nowhere to lay his head uh, and, and not much money to his name. Um, he came for our sakes. And then not, not only did he do that, but he became our servants. He became the lowest one by suffering and dying on the cross. That's, that's amazing generosity. It's difficult to measure just how much, impossible to measure, how much Jesus has given up for us. Uh, simply amazing, wonderful uh, grace. Uh, and maybe that's what makes it so impressive, that he was that rich. You know, the Bible, elsewhere, Paul writes to, to his friend Timothy and says, command the rich to be generous. You can look at that in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Maybe there's an element in which the poor don't need to be commanded. Maybe it comes more naturally to those who've learnt that they aren't totally self-sufficient but have to rely uh, on God and rely on others and, and see how God provides in, in different ways at different times. If you don't have much, maybe it's easier to give. I don't know if you've seen the uh, programme or heard the idea of doing a house swap where maybe for one week two families swap lives or swap houses. Uh, you know, there might be a really wealthy family kind of stepping down from their nice palace and into something a bit small and pokey. You know, the family going the other way, it's not so difficult to do. Wow, it must be a massive, um, a massive shock for both families, but maybe more difficult for the one who's stepping down. You know, if we don't have much, it can be easy to give, actually. If we have a lot, that's when it can start to hurt. You know, there's a saying in English, money talks. It means that those with money kind of have a bit more power and influence. But just consider that for a moment. Well, what does money actually say? Money can whisper into our hearts, you know, rely on me, I'll keep you safe. So when we get more, we kind of want to keep more, uh, sometimes. Um, and sometimes behind that thought can be the idea, I need to wait. If God provides me with an abundance, then I'm able to give. Until that point, until I'm totally financially secure, oh, it wouldn't be appropriate to give. No, it's fine to give from what you have. Um, you think about five loaves and two fish that Jesus used to feed a crowd of 5,000, uh, more than 5,000. He didn't wait until there was an abundance. Dear God, provide an abundance of food and then we can dish it out. They took what little they had, started to break it up in the hands of the disciples and a miracle happened. They never had lots in their hands in one moment, but they kept seeing a miracle happen as they gave out little bits. Supernatural generosity. We don't have to have a lot. Uh, to get involved in what God uh, wants to do. Another myth could be the idea that says, my gifting lies elsewhere, really. Other people might be gifted at generosity. I think I'm gifted in different areas. And in a sense, that's true. You know, um, there could be, there are different spiritual gifts and yours may not particularly be gener uh, generosity or the idea of uh, having a spiritual strength being able to contribute to the needs of others. There can be specific people within a church who are especially gifted by God's grace um, to do that. But just notice what it says here in chapter 8 and verse 7, back in 2 Corinthians. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Paul wants them to excel in all of those things, not just think that because they excel 
in speech or they excel and do really well in their knowledge, that it's okay. They don't need to be generous. There's another church that's really good at that and they can just leave it. Now, he wants them to excel in this um, as well. I mean, just imagine uh, a bodybuilder exercising to real, really bulk up. And, uh, but what would happen if he or she only exercised one side of their body? They'd be really strong down one side, but really comparatively weak down the other. They'd just be wonky. They'd be walking around in circles. You know, God has not called us uh, to be like a spiritual Tyrannosaurus Rex. Well, of course he hasn't, but why do you say that? Well, just a picture of Tyrannosaurus Rex, a T-Rex in your mind. Uh, think about its legs. They're massive. Think about its tail. It's huge. Think about its head. It's just so big. And its teeth. And then think about its little arms. They're absolutely tiny. No wonder the thing was extinct. You know, it's strong in certain areas and really weak in others. Now, that's not the idea that God has for his church. He, he wants this kind of rounded strength, rounded growth. He wants us to, to grow in generosity and not then just think, oh, let's leave it to others. This is something for us all to explore, something for us all to, uh, uh, to grow in. I remember speaking to a guy who was a very good drummer. And uh, he explained to me why he had certain exercises that he would do. And, and one exercise was just about his left hand. He's like, well, why are you doing that? Well, his left hand was his non-dominant hand. So his right hand was stronger, it was faster, and I guess therefore louder, more accurate, I'm not sure. So he had exercises that were specifically designed to strengthen and, and increase the speed of his left hand. I guess that's no bad thing for us to bear in mind, that, we, that we, uh, we're growing God in all sorts of different ways. Not just becoming expert in one thing, but, but being rounded in lots of different ways. So let's not just think, oh, my gifting lies elsewhere. Generosity, that's not for me. No, it is for us as a church to grow in. Myth number three can be the idea that says giving is best done spontaneously. That's when grace is involved. You know, grace is about kind of an impulsive moment that just comes upon us and we think, oh yes, now's the time to give. And any hint of being organised and deliberate and just regular, well, that sounds legalistic. Now, we don't want to go with that. And that's a, that would be a misunderstanding. Now, Paul is talking here about the grace of giving. He says, you can see in verse 8, I'm not commanding you. Now, already in the first few verses, he's spoken about the grace of God, that God has given to the Macedonian churches, the grace of giving that they have demonstrated. And he's saying, look, I'm not commanding you. He's not laying down the law. He's not talking about tithing, which can you know, maybe... Just bring in a pressure, you have to give 10%. But also this talk of law can sometimes squash generosity. Well, why not 12? Why not 15? God allows us and grace enables us um, to not just give according to a, to a rule or a calculation um, that then is about kind of reluctance, really, and a, and a reticence or a begrudging quality to our giving. Now he's, he's lifting all of that off, but there's no pressure here about having to give um, a certain amount or there being a certain target for this church or those individuals to achieve. And Paul is not telling them they have to give. It's quite clear. He's not doing that at all. If he's doing anything, he's reminding them that previously they've said, we'd really like to give. We, we want to. They were enthusiastic. They were eager um, about the idea. And what he's doing is, is reminding them and therefore not telling them that they have to. He's just saying, look, now's the time to get organised. Uh, he did that before in 1 Corinthians 
16, writing to the same church. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1, he said, Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, uh, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to also go, uh, they will accompany me. That, that was his previous uh, advice to them. And it might not sound particularly dramatic or supernatural. At the beginning, at the beginning of a week, you set aside a sum of money. Uh, again, it's not being prescriptive, you know, according to what you have, according to your income. Uh, elsewhere, you will see Paul say in 2 Corinthians 8 and chapter 9, you know, decide in your heart. Um, don't give reluctantly or under compulsion. It's about giving uh, cheerfully um, and with joy. Uh, but that doesn't mean no organisation. Actually, Paul is being very organised about it. And he's going out of his way uh, to make this happen. This wasn't about lining his own pockets. He wanted to take this collection so he could go back to Jerusalem. Uh, because living there, believers in Jesus who are very poor. And so he wanted to provide for them. His desire was actually to go to Spain, visit Rome and then go on to Spain. But he's going literally out of his way to take money back to Jerusalem and then to go with a group of people. So it's not just one man with a big bag of money that might mysteriously then go missing. No, he's, he's at pains. That's what he says um, in, verse, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 20. He says, we want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. Uh, we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. So the grace of God enables us to be, uh, be deliberate and, uh, and decide in our heart uh, what to give. And it becomes a feature of our life. Again, like prayer. We don't just have one day where we binge prayer. We binge pray for the whole day. That was our annual day of prayer. No, it's about a lifestyle that involves us uh, speaking with God and hearing him throughout our lives, throughout the day, throughout the week. And there's that sense in which giving has the same dynamic. It's just it's part of our life. It's part of our lifestyle. It's, partly, it's part of what we're choosing to do. So we're choosing to do something with our money, which means it's not going to go on other things. We want it to go to God's kingdom purposes. And that is grounded in God's grace. Fourth myth that might need to be busted is this. It's the idea that says we should give without expecting anything in return. Now, in a way, again, there can be an element of truth to this that the Bible speaks elsewhere about, well, don't, don't just love your friends, love your enemies as well. Don't, don't give in order to expect to get back, as if it was some kind of tit-for-tat arrangement. You know, the point of giving is not to make ourselves rich. The point of giving is not to demand that that's what God does, that we become wealthy. God is not some giant slot machine. If we just put in the right number of coins and then pull the lever, we've all hit the jackpot. And we're wealthy on planet Earth. That's not God's intention. God's desire is not necessarily to make us wealthy. It's to make us more like Jesus. And Jesus was generous. So we should expect the Spirit of God to be working that uh, in us. But whilst we might say, yes, it's not right to uh, do it for, for bad motives. Actually, we are encouraged in the Bible to give with an expectation of receiving. There are so many different places that we could turn to. and um, I'll go to one of them. Let's turn to uh, Luke and chapter 6, see what Jesus uh, said there. So many times when talking on the subject of giving and providing for, the, for those in need, we are given incentives. 
We are encouraged like this, for example, Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, that may not happen uh, in ways that are always predictable. The Bible speaks elsewhere. Jesus said about when we give, we're, we're laying up treasure in heaven. We're not going to be rich on earth, but it, there's a kind of investment that's very worthwhile. We're going to be rich in glory. There will be a reward, even if it's not tasted in this life. So we're to expect that. Um, but in other ways, we might expect to receive back. We just read that promise from, from Luke. I think if someone decides in faith and by grace to give, it won't be long before they experience unexpected gifts that God has organised coming in the other direction. Now, that's not guaranteed in every situation, and it's not, in a sense, what we're just aiming for in its own, for its own sake, like we just want to get rich. Um, but God's doing that kind of thing to show he is always a generous provider. And his desire in encouraging us is to help us continue to be generous. Why do I say that? Well, look in, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, just going a little bit further on from the passage we're looking at, it talks about sowing and reaping. And then it says this in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Follow it down to verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And I think really this is what we're needing to prepare for afresh. We, we don't know what the future holds. What used to be, what, what used to seem certain may no longer be that in the future. I give thanks that you know, we're not at the moment aware anyway of massive need with people losing their jobs and so on, but life could get really interesting. Let's therefore be a people believing in God's supernatural, abundant generosity that then enables us to step out. You know, we're not waiting to receive one big almighty lump sum before we choose to be generous. But as we choose to be generous, I think we can expect God to keep providing what we need to help us then continue and grow in that generosity. It is a supernatural dynamic and something for us to grow in. Amen? Amen.